When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop. And hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Alex Tuma, CEO of SaaStock. I speak to people that have been running a business for like two years and it's struggling and they're like tr- still trying to figure out their ICP, like try and figure it out like super early, maybe even before you know before sure. you've la- launched the product. Two other bonus ones there probably would be around positioning. We've seen how that's transformed companies. Another example on that would be like Docsend. I had the, they got bought by Dropbox. And the thing that kind of really created the inflection point for them after many years, and maybe even like 1 million of ARR was when they really nailed their positioning. And that caused them to get the hockey stick growth. This is Alex. He's got over 11 years of sales experience in IT, telecoms, and cloud. In 2015, Alex started a blog on SaaS called SaaScribe. And this soon caught on and he built a powerful network across the SaaS founder and investor community. The blog soon led to the creation of the first ever podcast in B2B SaaS, called the SaaS Revolution Show, which led to the first exclusively SaaS-themed meetups in London, Dublin and Berlin. In November 2015, SaaS Talk was founded on the back of that, which in the meantime has become the world's most impactful conference for SaaS founders that are on a journey towards 10 million ARR and beyond. And this inspired me. And hence, I invited Alex to my podcast. We explore what Alex sees as the key criteria to succeed in B2B SaaS. We discuss how to start off on the right foundation, what to bet on and what not, and how to avoid making the costly mistakes other SaaS founders have made before you. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, why segmentation and positioning are wrongly undervalued. Secondly, what signals to look for from customers to know that you're on the right track. Thirdly, why each B2B SaaS founder should build a personal brand. And lastly, what to do and avoid doing to prevent ending up in the valleys of death. Well, hi, Alex. Thank you for making the time available today and being a special guest on the podcast. Hi, Ton. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, I mean, I follow. I mean, I think you're a well-known person in the industry. I followed you for a long time, and I said 
at some point, why not have you on the podcast as well? Because normally I interview like yourself, if you're pioneering SaaS revolution show, you interview B2B SaaS CEOs to just share the knowledge that they have, experiences that they've been through, the journeys and so on. Now it's two people that are hosting a similar type of show, talking about these things and maybe zooming in and out on a number of things that, that we see across the board. So I wanted to go and zoom back to where it all started for you. You started a blog on SaaS back in 2015, but what triggered it? Why did you start to think, okay, this is needed? Yeah, yeah, good question. So yeah, I think like I've always been entrepreneurial, but like in my 20s, I never really kind of, I had loads of ideas and I never acted on them, right? And when I got to like 30, I was kind of thinking like, am I ever going to be an entrepreneur? What am I going to do? And I didn't really have a necessarily an idea at that point. So what I thought, because I was working for a cloud computing company at the time, a company called Parallels, I was selling cloud computing software to telecoms companies. And I thought, hey, like, I'll just like push myself outside of my comfort zone. Why don't I start a blog to help me become a trusted advisor to then, you know, help me, I guess, kind of like with my sales performance, you know, with my, you know, big sort of clients, you know, that I had. And so I thought, obviously, well, I'm in cloud computing. That makes kind of, you know, if I'm going to be a trusted advisor in this space, then I should be doing some, you know, content around cloud computing. But actually, like my knowledge was like super nascent, you know, very I didn't have a lot of knowledge in the space, but I started kind of looking into it. And then when I was kind of doing a bit of research and looking around at like what content was available and what, why my content might be a little bit different, I noticed that there was a lot of vendor-driven content in SaaS and in the cloud. I noticed there was a lot of investor content, you know, kind of at the time, but I didn't really see anything kind of like neutral. And that kind of really popped out to me. And I guess like... If you're not, you, you know, working for a, a SaaS company or if you're, you, you know, not an investor, why perhaps would you be, you know, creating content in SaaS? Like, unless you obviously you had a clear passion for that. So what I did, I kind of explored this and I kind of had this idea. I thought, like, oh, there's an opportunity there. Why not create a SaaS magazine? Right. And because this is a really kind of interesting sort of space that was still like, what was it, 2013, 2014? It was still quite early in SaaS, even though you had, you know, companies like, Salesforce starting in 1999, you know, 2000. So I like the idea of a SaaS magazine. And so again, this was another kind of entrepreneurial idea, bright spark. But then again, like no experience in this space. So I was like, how am I going to start a SaaS magazine? Like I've no idea and I've got no capital behind me, really. (laughs) So I was like, let's start, you know, small steps. Why don't we start it as a blog? But that could eventually be, you know, a magazine, right? And a real low barrier to entry. I started, you know, creating the initial content very quickly realized, and so the blog was called Taskcribe, that I had some big limitations, right? My limitation was that I'd never really written a blog before, so I wasn't really a writer. And then also, like, my knowledge on SaaS, like, I'm not running a SaaS business, so how can I advise somebody that's running a SaaS business how to do it? I've never been there. I've not done it. Yeah. So recognizing these limitations, but still seeing that there was, I thought, you know, an opportunity there, I kind of pivoted the idea for it to be a community-driven blog and my role to really become the editor and the creator sort of, you know, behind that. And so I reached out to a bunch of people, really kind of cold emails, but people I could see that were, let's say, influencers or creating content in the space. And I to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, creating this community-driven blog to help SaaS founders grow their businesses would you be interested in creating original content for the blog? You know, I don't think I said I'm not going to pay you or anything like that, but we didn't pay anybody. And lo and behold, and a little bit to my pleasant surprise, 
almost everybody said yes, right? And they kind of, they liked the idea, they bought into the why, you know, behind it. So it was a bigger kind of purpose. And that kind of really kickstarted it. And so then I just kind of, we had people, you know, creating content and like spending three hours writing a new post just to be published on Sascribe. And again, it always kind of like surprises me that they did this. But actually, like, you know, that kind of then really kind of took off. I think the idea was a good one. The timing was right. The cadence of publishing was good. And it took off. And then obviously, because, yes, I wasn't paying anybody, but they got a benefit from it because often that, you know, whether they were a consultant or whatever, you know, growth marketer or something like that, the benefit was that they had eyeballs on their work and it helped to raise their profile and they were adding value to the community. So that's kind of how the blog started within like three months, again, because of the timing, because I think nobody else was doing it. You know, we were having about like 30,000 views per wow. month yeah, yeah. to the blog, which was pretty good. And I was getting emails from people in the industry saying, hey, I like what you're doing, you know, keep it up, right? And yeah. so that was good. So idea and timing was right, recognizing my weaknesses and turning those into strengths that kind of really kind of helped, you know, say the making of Sascribe, which then led to podcasts and meetups. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Let me pause there. Yeah. Indeed, what I get from this at the end, I like that you pointed out that there's a lot of things out there that are not neutral. I mean, everything at the end is sort of, yeah, is there with a second agenda behind it. It shows again, I mean, the moment you start adding value in a neutral, neutral way, things can go off really, really quickly. And you can, first of all, get a following, but also... Yeah, people that really want to contribute, which is, I think, the whole power of community and doing something, creating something together, that's great. So, yeah, the blog sparked the podcast, the first ever SaaS podcast, the SaaS Revolution Show. And then quickly after that, I saw also that, of course, that you started to work with live meetups, which became SaaS Talk. Yep. And then things, yeah, I mean, took off. I mean, if you, I think the rest is history. Currently, I, from what I believe, is the SaaS Talk is indeed one of the biggest or the biggest SaaS conference in Europe in the meantime. What do you believe is driving that success? Is that the same thing? Is it bringing people together that where you can learn from each other, exchanging ideas, having multiple components like blog, audio, and ways to discuss? What's the success here? Yeah, yeah, good question. I mean, look, I think part of it is timing, right? Being, I would say, you know, pretty much the first SaaS conference in Europe, you know, the first podcast in SaaS. Timing, you know, is everything sometimes, right? And so we definitely had a head start. Now there are a number of SaaS conferences in Europe, right? Which I think is also good because it shows that it's a kind of healthy ecosystem. I think if it was just us, we'd probably be in a bad market. But I think the market is healthy. And the fact that there is other conferences and, you know, competition is a good thing, right? But timing has been good. The strength of the SaaS market, you know, over since 2016, the first SaaS stock, to really, you know, now 2023, the SaaS market, you know, continues to grow, right? Now, a little bit of slower growth, you know, perhaps sort of like this year, you know, a bit of a correction from the crazy 2020, 2021 COVID times. But the growth of the market, you know, has enabled us to grow. It pulled us along. So being first has been important. The growth of the market and being in a good market has been important. And, you know, VCs are always looking for, you know, good markets for companies that they invest in. And, you know, for us, we're in an extremely strong market, you know, providing a lot of value. And then I think it's just the way that we do it, right? The SaaS stock is a little bit different, I think, to some other conferences and, 
out there, either when the SaaS space or not the SaaS space. And generally, like we put a lot of attention to detail in our events, a lot of focus on how we bring people together and the right people together and the quality of the audience. So our real kind of core ICP is B2B SaaS founders, those that are generally on their journey from zero to 10 million in revenue. Most have some revenue. And yeah, I like there's always just been this really good spirit at SaaS.conference. Part of it is probably that we're in Dublin. I think part of it is, or a big part of it, is the SaaS founders themselves. We are, you know, to simplify it, just enabling people to get together by providing a time, you know, a date, a venue in a city and inviting people to come. And the magic just seems to kind of happen, right? But yeah. where you go to other conferences, sometimes they're too salesy and that kind of ruins a little bit of the spirit. Yeah. Everyone just wants to sell. I, you know, and I get that it's, it is a part of conferences, business development. And then sometimes they're too big as well and becomes overwhelming. And sometimes the quality is not, you know, very good. And I think where we kind of tick the boxes is we bring a core ICP there that really they have this kind of mentality of like paying it forward and sharing. They come with a good spirit. There isn't, you know, we're not selling first in terms of mentality. It's kind of like, how can we help you first? Then there's, you know, quality of content and speakers and programming, you know, kind of really helps. So it's just put us in, I think, like good stead and given us a good reputation and brand for, you know, the conference that we run and something that, you know, obviously want to, you know, continue to do. And obviously we're rolling out in the US and try and bring that spirit that we have, you know, in Dublin to Austin, Texas sort of later this year. Yeah. So I think these things that we bring is really, I would say, defined like what SASDOC is compared to and separated us from other events. So yeah, it's always a great time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like running a SaaS business in its own right. You know, the moment you have a very clear understanding of who your ideal ICP is, you start to understand their problems in a much better way. Yeah. And what is valuable to them? Why would they invest their time and their money to come to it? And if you tick on all those boxes, you got, yeah, you got a formula for success. It's an event business, but at the end, it could equally well be a sales business. I want to kind of go to that right now. One of the things we both talk about a lot is this crazy statistic that is still out there that nine out of 10 SaaS businesses fail, well, too soon, like within three years. Sometimes it's even 99 out of 100, depending a little bit on the source you read. So you've been in the SaaS business for a long time, well, working with all these SaaS founders and, and people out there. If you would ever start a SaaS business yourself, you know, yep. crazy idea for a fantastic product, what would be the three things you'd nail as your foundation based on what you've learned so far? Yeah, good question. Yeah, maybe one day I will start a SaaS business if I can find the time, whether this is going to be during SaaS stock or you know, post-SaaS stock at some point. I think like first thing would be you know, really to kind of like talk to customers or like you know, talk to an audience and really kind of like find out what are the problems that they're facing and then create something that, you know, solves a problem and something that people want. So I think in general, not only in SaaS, but generally in startup world, right? Too many people have a great idea and then launch their business and they haven't spoken to anybody and that nobody actually wants this product and then they can't sell it and they can't find product market fit because actually nobody wants this, right? And I think it's probably, and I don't know the statistics, but I think it's almost certainly the number one reason that businesses fail 
is because somebody's got a great idea, but actually nobody wants that product. So it's actually not such a great idea. So speaking to an audience first, right, doing customer development work to help shape that kind of product. Oftentimes, you know, SaaS businesses are built because somebody is experiencing that problem. And often it's quite, it's you that's experiencing the problem. And then you kind of go out and who else is experiencing this problem? Then you speak to them. And if I fix this problem, you know, would you become a customer and, and go from there? And similarly, if you look at like what we did with SaaS stock, which will tie into my kind of second point about building an audience and doing kind of content marketing, which I would do, you know, perhaps, you know, before the product was there. So when we, you know, these early days of the Sascribe, the podcast, doing the meetups, this was all audience building and content marketing before I even knew what product that we were and how we were going to monetize it. And I was doing this for well, maybe nine months before I knew what SaaS stock was going to be or before there yeah. was a SaaS stock. And then in the meetups and then through the communication, the audience that I had built told me that they wanted a SaaS conference and said that I should build it, right? And I was like, oh, you know, this is interesting. This could be a way to kind of monetize it. Yeah. But effectively, I was kind of, you know, I built the audience. I was doing customer development. People said that they wanted to get together at a larger scale than the meetups and that I should do it. And that's kind of where we went. So speaking to customers, you know, finding out what do people want and then, you know, providing a solution, you know, to that super key. And then to that point, actually, I started building, so if I was building a SaaS company, like content marketing and marketing is something, you know, I love doing a kind of sweet spot for me. I would, you know, look at that point of either sort of customer development, whether launching, you know, the product, starting to do content marketing, you know, early and be consistent with it. And again, I see that with a lot of like startups. I mean, there is obviously so much content out there to the right now, and it's hard to kind of cut through the noise. But I'm actually surprised at the amount of founders that I speak to in the early stages that are not really doing content marketing or doing it regularly enough and not really building up that audience and you know building a brand early because also to kind of cut through the noise, you need to kind of build a brand. You know, there's great examples, you know, I mean, going back a few years of like how Intercom, for instance, did that and the, you know, the co-founders and, you know, Des Trainer would just write, you know, all of the content for, you know, the first couple of years and really kind of built, delivered great content, built a brand, you know, around that. That was why then people chose to partner with Intercom, you know, over, you know, competitive solutions. So I think definitely that's super important, help SaaS stock. But I think for a SaaS business, I would do that. And then I think the last point, which also kind of ties into the customer development and the content, who you're creating it for, you know, is really identifying that ICP, right? And I think that's something that I've learned over the years. I think everybody that I've spoken to, you know, looks at this as kind of like one of the key things that really kind of helped them was really narrowing down who that ICP was, not trying to sell to everybody, but creating that ICP, you know, who, and this is ideal customer profile for those that don't know, and saying, okay, well, I'm going to sell to a SaaS founder, a B2B SaaS founder that is, you know, in a particular, you know, kind of revenue stage. And, you know, I don't know, really kind of building out that profile and even going into details uh-huh. of like painting the picture, you know, her name is Mary, you, you know, this is what she does, blah, 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 kind of breaking it all down, really kind of help you kind of hone in like, who is my customer? And then you can kind of branch out a little bit from there. So I think those would definitely be three key things that I would do yeah. that so many people actually don't do. And that's where probably, again, I don't know what the statistic is, but maybe out of the nine out of 10 that fail, maybe 50% of those are not doing these three things, right? And that's yeah, maybe yeah. yeah. Well, I think a lot of them think they do it, just not to an extent that is enough. I mean, talking yeah. about your 
every time I speak to SaaS funders like yourself and we talk about ICP, they think they got their ICP nailed, but it's far too wide. Yeah. We sell to businesses between 500 and 5,000 people in the professional service space in the UK, in Ireland, and Germany. Yeah, but that is but still, that is far too wide. So what is always the interesting part is when we have these discussions is that people say, you know, but okay, but now we're going to miss out on so much. Question at the end is like, when do you know where you have arrived at the right level? I think that is exactly that point where it feels like you have to make, where you're making big choices already. Yeah. Because that's where you can, the moment you got it that specific, that's where something specific will come out that is of interest. Otherwise, it's, yeah, it's going to stay really, really high level. Yeah. Do you yeah. see that as well? Yeah, no, definitely. And like, I'm sure like Twilio, another example, I think, you know, yeah. earlier on, they really kind of focused on developers and I'm sure like a certain subset of developers and then they would run hackathons and they would have like developer programs and so on and so forth. And then eventually kind of start to expand the ICP, right? So yeah. just another example that kind of comes to mind. But yeah, definitely the ones that get it right have this real kind of super laser focus, you know, on the ICP. And often I speak to people that have been running a business for like two years and it's struggling and they're like tr- still trying to figure out their ICP, like try and figure it out like super early, maybe even bef- you know, before sure. you've la- launched the product. Two other bonus ones there probably would be around positioning and i think also with positioning you've got to know your icp to also you know get the kind of positioning right but we've seen how that's transformed companies another example on that would be like docsend i had the they got bought by dropbox the founder russ Hedleston, was on the podcast years ago and the thing that kind of really created the inflection point for them after many years and maybe even like 1 million of arr was when they really nailed their positioning And that caused them to get the hockey stick growth. Let me make a small interruption here. Alex just made an excellent remark about the foundation ingredients that separate remarkable software businesses from the rest. Underestimating the power of crystal clear segmentation and crisp positioning makes everything harder, not only in marketing and sales, but also in service, in customer success and product development. We often believe we should shoot wide, but the opposite is true. Understanding that you cannot please everyone and clearly taking position to make your SaaS business incomparable are trade remarkable software companies master. It helps them to shorten sales cycles, to increase win rates, to avoid discounting, and with that, create predictable traction. And you can master these traits as well. The first step, simply read my book. I've made the electronic version available for free. Just visit theremarkableeffect.com to grab your copy an inspiration will spark in the first 10 minutes. Back to the interview. And the other one would be outbound marketing and not just relying on inbound marketing so out, or even outbound sales, sorry, and just seeing the transformation for companies that have, let's say, bootstrapped for years and have had some you know, good growth, but have never done outbound sales. And then when they implemented outbound sales, again, they just kind of like saw you know, the business take off. And yeah. so, yeah, have seen like a real pattern around that as well. Very interesting. And I think it's a good transition to where I want to go next. Let me just see if I've covered everything here. The three things you'd nail, talk to audience, find a problem, create something that people want. I mean, to me, this everybody listening will likely say, yeah, of course, that's what you yeah. would do. Yeah. And what, what puzzles me is that after all those years, I mean, I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect. And people also said, so like, why do we need that book? You know, there's been thousands of books on how to run a successful business. And I, I mean, I focused down on the 10 traits that define a remarkable SaaS business. 
because at the end, we're still doing it wrong. We, we still have that crazy statistic. What do you believe is the thing that people think they say, yeah, yeah, it's all obvious and yeah. we do that, but still don't at the end? I think on top of like, okay, these are some strategic things. Yeah, these are some strategic things that you should do. In general, there's also, you add on this other layer of they've never done it before. So there's a lack of experience, yeah, right? True. So that's one thing. Obviously, founders that have done it and have done it once and have had an exit, they kind of then know, oh, here's a playbook and I know how to do this. And, <laughs> you know, investors then come to them and give them a check before they've even started, you know, the kind of the next idea because they've figured it out. And there is a playbook. So experience would be one thing for sure. I think like additionally, yeah, in general, kind of goes into that is like hiring and people, you know, problems there. I think if we look at the valleys of death, you know, chart from Vern Harnish, where he talks about, you know, this statistic, you know, nine out of 10 companies failing, like I think like 4% of businesses getting to 1 million in revenue, 0.4 getting to 10 million in revenue. And he talks about because like companies are being sucked into these valleys of death and then they're not traveling in one straight line. And when you're in a valley of death, effectively your growth is, you know, is going you know, facing these incredible challenges and dips. And you're in these valleys because you're making the wrong decisions because you don't have experience because you're running out of money. You're pivoting this way and that way, you know, the wrong strategies. You've made wrong hires and the wrong people. All of these things, you know, and it happens, you know, across like all businesses. But some businesses just kind of get that velocity right. And generally, when you've got the experience or like a, a super founder, you can get from zero to 10 million in one straight line. But in general, that's not most of us, right? And the majority are going to make mistakes. And, you know, unfortunately, it's kind of the way of life. Now, you can help yourself by trying to not make as many mistakes by maybe surrounding yourself with people that have done it, you know, getting that, you know, experience to help you kind of, you know, avoid the potholes. And even I think, you know, a benefit of actually, you know, getting venture capital is in general, the venture capitalists have seen it all, Right. And they should be then, if they're a good VC, supporting you to say, look, you know, don't do this, don't go that way and providing, you know, advice as well. But yeah, I think most of us are just, you know, when we're starting out, lacking that experience and we'll just make lots of mistakes along the way, which slows down the growth. And unfortunately, it's, it just seems to be the way. It is, exactly. Well, I mean, that's why there is a market for a podcast. That's why there is a market for SaaS stock. And I completely agree with you, you know, surround yourself with brilliant people, peers, that are living the same, well, that are on the similar journey, but don't own your problem and can look at your problem in a way that, yeah, without the emotions. Yeah. And that is something that is often underestimated because you think, okay, I've got external people. I've got board members. i got investors. I've got advisors. But somehow they're all invested in your business and as a consequence, biased. So interesting thing there. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe. You talked about bootstrapped, you talked about funded, you talked about VCs. In the current climate, you know, given the current climate, what would you advise SaaS founders to prioritize right now or to plan for? Yeah, good question. Obviously, I mean, it, very interesting times, 2023. I think it's not, if we look at like last quarter, there was a lot of doom and gloom about 2023. And there was a lot of fears about the recession 
and how this is going to you know impact SaaS businesses now through speaking with founders you know already this year you know we're coming up to end of January there is seem to be a little bit more light around the doom and gloom which is really quite good to see you know we are seeing you know some companies that are not being affected i spoke we did saas.local yeah. munich which is our meetup events we did it in obviously munich on wednesday i spoke to personio the founder of personio hanno rena and the recession is not impacting them you know and they're at 1700 people 700 million in the bank or whatever and i don't know what he didn't i, I didn't ask for his revenue but or whether he would share it and they're still working towards you know a future ipo potentially and they're not seeing an impact and actually you know still experiencing growth and also speaking to founders that were at a much lower level than hano because i think personio was last valued at 8.5 billion but those are the earlier stage they're still you know planning for growth and looking at growth and i think also if you're in that early stage pre-seed seed and so on what's happening in the market is not affecting you you know as much the growth stage companies the ones that are not growing you know at the right pace and don't have enough cash in the bank they're the ones that are probably really going to be impacted because actually not or hardly any investing is happening in the growth stage at the moment exactly. when yep. that might change in the second half of 2023 but at the moment this could see you could see a lot of growth stage companies struggling there and obviously the big tech companies are the ones that are making all the layoffs right which they're basically correcting their overhiring based on you know we had a great 2020 21 because of covid and we thought we'd continue to kind of have a great 2022 23 but realized that actually we've overhired so i think in general i guess kind of the mantra like in saas at the moment is to really be you know more efficient with capital and growth yeah, and growth. like still go for growth but kind of like slow down some of the the expectations and we're seeing that kind of market correction but from what i'm hearing from people that i'm speaking to like that early stage of saas is not really being affected too much you know if at all which is kind of like good to hear but it's the growth stage companies that you know are having some problems and are the ones yeah. that are kind of making you know the layoffs and kind of correcting their course and just kind of making sure that they have enough cash in the bank as well but they're being advised ironically and i think you maybe sort of alluded to this like at yeah. the beginning by their vcs to run more like bootstrap companies right and so bootstrap is you know in vogue at the moment because oh, yeah it was almost like going there yeah yeah, because you're running your business capitally efficient. Bootstrappers have always done that. And yeah, I've noticed actually, just like I think you also mentioned, like SaaS stock has always been really well known by being at the intersection of SaaS founders and investors. And our conference in Dublin had quite a lean towards connecting founders and VCs. And a lot of yeah. our content on the stages have really been founders or VCs on there. And we haven't done a lot for bootstrapping founders until last year. And we thought, well, you know, bootstrapping is kind of, it's a trend that's really, you know, on the rise. People are saying that, you, you know, yeah, you should, you should bootstrap for as long as you can. And we created a bootstrapping stage last year with a lot of great founders. And actually, we saw post the conference that 35% of SASDOC attendees were bootstrapping founders. So yeah, definitely kind of, you know, data to back up that people should bootstrap, you know, as long as they can, unless you really want to build a billion dollar business, right? Because it's going to be super difficult to do from a bootstrapping perspective. There are not that many examples. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the end, I think bootstrap until you get all the cylinders running. And yeah. then, and once you got that running, you know, you start from a position of strength. It's something where you say funding becomes an option, not a set choice. Because what I see is a lot of them go for funding too early too high expectations, very hard to meet those expectations, get into problems again. So it becomes desperation. 
And I mean, I think it's a very, very good thing to, if you can, of course, fund the first part to get the business going and fund it based on like customers buying the product. Yeah. Until yeah, you really see predictable traction coming. And then you say, okay, okay, now we can do something with funding or not. What if we would? I think you start stronger. It's where investors will start to knock on your door rather than the other way around. hundred percent. And I mean, like, you know, Sastock has never been a venture capital backed sort of like business because we're, you know, we're a conference is a media business. But we started, I mean, apart from doing the audience building, we're funded through customer revenue, you know, and we're like, if we do this conference, will you sponsor us? Yes. Okay. And then collecting the money and customer revenue funding us. And that's the best type of funding, right? If you can get it. Oh, it is. And it starts again with what you said earlier on. Talk to your audience, find a problem to solve, create something that people want. That's where that will start to give you the traction and the inflow. Yeah. Cool. Last question. From the lessons that you've learned, the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained over time on stage, talking to founders and so on, what is an advice that has it's always that you've heard at some point or experienced maybe yourself that you'd like to share with founders and CEOs that want to start a business or actually grow to the next stage? So what would we do and what would we possibly be a don't? What would we do and what would we don't? A do would be, and I think we've mentioned this before, build a network like of peers, yeah. the people that are going through it and surround yourself like with people that are going through it if you can. Don't try and figure it all out by yourself. And there are so many, I mean, founders, I would imagine like naturally are pretty smart people. And sometimes they think like, you know, I've created this product. I've, you know, solving this problem. I can do it all myself. I don't need help from VCs or anybody else. Right. But generally it's going to be lonely, you know, journey. You don't know it all. You know, there are so many people that have just done it. Right. So why not learn from them and all the great people? And I think I mentioned this on a LinkedIn post recently. I've interviewed so many great people like on the podcast and none of them have gone it alone. Right. They've all built support networks and examples. Like Goddard Abel, the CEO of G2, right? He's a three-time, I think three or four-time entrepreneur with, you know, two huge exits behind him that I know of. He still like builds support groups and gets coaching and, you know, all of this stuff, even though you think like, well, surely he must know it all, right? And he probably knows a great deal more than other people, but he's still looking to surround himself with people like him or even, you know, further ahead. So it's just real common. So don't go it alone. And really kind of, you know, surround yourself with peers and build that support network. I think that's key. Cool. Yeah. Wise advice. Well, thank you very much, Alex. Fascinating conversation with a peer. I keep following you. Yeah. Good luck with the next chapter of Talk. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Great to meet, you know, virtually. Obviously, we'll be speaking on LinkedIn a bit. And yeah, hopefully see you at Talk at some point in the future. But thanks very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And this ends my conversation with Alex. And I hope you enjoyed it. If so please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning in to this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Alex Tuma, CEO of Sastor. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, Share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. 
Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.